smoother like a baby's bottom. We are recording. Oh. Um, I like your pajamas again. Thank you. They're Harry Potter. Allison, I watched Harry Potter last night. Jealous of your life. I built <laughs> Harry Potter last night and I listened to my you... Harry Potter book last night. Wait, so you're jealous that I watched Harry Potter yet you listened to the book? Yeah, I'm on the second one. What? Okay. I, I guess I'm just a little confused. Which one did you watch? The first one. Oh. We're starting over. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to. Are you yeah. Gonna, wait, are you going to watch them all? Yeah, Might probably. Well. Like, as time comes. We also watch... As time comes? <laughs> you, you have to know what happens. I mean, we've seen it's all like of my them mom. multiple times. My mom does not care about what happens to Harry Potter. And I was like, Mom, you don't even know if he lives or dies. And she's like, he's clearly going to live. And I'm like... Sorry, everybody, if you've not seen Harry Potter, you okay. should watch Harry Potter Listen, right now. Listen, it's been like decades. Technically, um, <laughs> he does die, so. But um, we've seen it, so we know what happens, Brie. But it's still, it's like, I always get like, especially in the last one, I just get like, I don't know if anybody else gets this out there, but like, I just get like this tingly feeling in it. It's just like, especially like when they're fighting and Hogwarts yeah. is getting destroyed, but then they start winning, and you're like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. And then everybody's dying, and it's so sad. I am so, guys, 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 I am so, because we have not recorded in a couple weeks mm -hmm. since this was announced. Oh, yes. The Harry Potter series. So many people are pissed off about it. They're like, oh, well, Daniel Radcliffe can't. Well, you know what? Daniel Radcliffe is amazing. He's a great Harry Potter, guys. But you know what? You know what's not amazing? Oops, not being able to include Peeves the Poltergeist or or things about how Fred and George got their joke shop. Like, nobody knows that in the movies. They don't include things like that. But, like, things like that are so important. Yeah. Or, like, how big of a role Dobby actually played in the movies. Because he played a lot bigger of a role in the movies or in the books than he did in the movies. So... You're looking forward to all of that. Oh, they're literally going to supposedly they're supposed to include every single little detail because it's supposed to go every every season is a different is a different book. I'm assuming they're probably going to just split the last seasons. I think they're saying it's going to be 10 seasons. OK, I think that's what I read. So I'm betting the last two books are going to be split. That would make sense. Yeah. Anyway, it's amazing, guys. I am so happy for her. I am so happy. It's not going to come out like 2025. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you guys tell us this now? <laughs> um, so many people are going to get HBO Max. Oh, yeah. It was super smart for them to put on HBO Max. Also, I saw something about Twilight. I don't know if it's true. Redoing Twilight? On a show as on HBO. Can we just put it down? Can we just put it to bed? There's so much more they could have included in that. And, I understand. And it could have been so much less cheesier than it was in the movies. Because <sighs> the first movie was so cringy. Say it. Say it. And her mouth breathing. <sighs> You're a vampire. Well. <laughs> it's the TikToks making fun of her. Like whenever she like gets socially awkward and she's like, okay, I, I, I can't. I, can't. I, I don't like the cold. <laughs> Also, I'm sorry if no, I'm not. I'm no, not. don't apologize. <laughs> yeah. They they just overdid it a little bit. Yeah, they did. How are you today? How was everybody today? We've missed you guys. We're we so did. sorry that we were gone. We had to take a mental health break. We did not from each other. No, 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 no. We love each other. We still saw each other very much. Um, but yeah, no, we needed to take a little bit of a step back. Yeah, from the podcast. It was just one of those things that it. it we needed to be done. We need nothing's a, wrong. A refresher. Yeah, nothing's wrong. We're great. We just we have so many more ideas now. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, now is now we just gotta actually like execute these ideas. Yes. What a big word. What a big what a big girl execute. word. Execute. It's not really a big word. It's like a creative word. Yeah. Um. So I have. Uh, who's going first this week? First off. Uh, you can go first. Okay. Um, I have a question for you. Shoot. All right. So if you could travel to another decade or year, 
were three days, what decade would it be? <sighs> Just enough to get a feel for the decade, and then you got to go back. Oh, that's a hard one. I'd say the 50s or the 80s. Okay. Probably the 80s. The music was so much better. Why the 50s? Because it's like so much like fancy and sexist and, and stuff like that. It's just. So you want to go back to a cool time where. In school and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to smoke a cig at school. Yeah. I mean, they did that in the 80s and the 90s, too. Actually, I'm sure probably, they do it now, too. Probably the 80s. The 80s. Yeah. Such good so music. Years back. Yeah. Yeah. That would be cool. That would be cool. What about you? Um, the twenties, actually. Nineteen mm. twenties. The rolling twenties. Yeah, the rolling twenties. Mainly because roaring. it looks roaring, roaring, roaring. Yeah. Roar. Um, okay. mainly because there was the prohibition. Oh yeah. And I think that would be fun to experience, and like everyone just looks so beautiful. Yeah. Those flapper girls. There's the whole Gatsby thing going on. The Gatsby on. thing, yeah. Dude, I always talk about doing the Charles. That's like the only dance I know. The Charles From back in the day. <laughs> the shimmy. I don't know if that was probably I don't like know. the 50s. I have no idea. The shimmy, shimmy shake. Sorry. I just, the thing is though, but I would want to be like friends with the great Gatsby guy because otherwise like. Mm... Their eyebrows were gross though. There was like lines. Like lines, oh. like they would paint, like make their eyebrows like super thin. Like yeah, thinner than, that like, was like the early two thousands too, though. Thinner than that though, and they had like no shape. They'd just be like a dang line. Like <laughs> it looked like they're like a stick figure or a cart <laughs> on uh, what's that show? Um, with Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown. <laughs> whoa, 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 Charlie whoa, Brown whoa. eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Tell me your neighborhood story. Oh, that'd be a great thing to hear, wouldn't it? <laughs> Your neighborhood. Can story? I make up one this week? You don't have one, Bree. <laughs> we just decided who was gonna go first. Too. I'm clicking it up. I'm clicking it. I'm clicking it. I'm clicking it. I promise. Okay. Okay. Um, I know someone like this too. Okay. All right. Tell me your neighborhood uh, story, Bree. Okay. So had a name. This one is from Cheeseburger. Oh my god, I remember that website. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it says. Had a neighbor who wouldn't let anyone use his driveway because he didn't want it to get dirty. Anyone, including himself. He parked on the street outside. If he thought you were having a party, he would drag a bunch of plastic bags full of God knows what to the end of his driveway so no one could turn around in it. One time I came home and he was outside uh, hosing it down in the rain. To his credit, I've never seen a cleaner driveway. <laughs> but, like, it's a driveway. It's a driveway. It's for driving. Can you imagine like, what the inside of his... do on it? Yeah, but can you imagine the inside of his house? Right? <laughs> it's like, put it... If he has to work on the vehicle, he's going to have to, like, put a tarp down. He probably doesn't even... No. There's no way. He takes it to go get he, worked on. Yeah, there's no way. Or he, like, takes it to a mechanic shop and was like, can I borrow your garage? <laughs> Go Man. rinse out. My, base. my ex-in-laws, they uh, had a neighbor that would, he would plow his driveway and he would haul the snow away instead yeah. of just like piling it up to the side. I kind of get that though, because it just puddles up. I get it. But like he it's had so much work. Yeah. Like he had, a, a, you know, a, a ATV with the plow. It's not like you can pick it up. No, my ex-in-laws. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yeah, they're their neighbor. Anyways. All right. I'm going to tell you my story. And it's kind of long, but I'm, so I'm, I'm not sorry. Um, I listened to, like, 20 million podcasts about this, even though it's not that well-known of a story, but it has been covered by quite a few people, um, other podcasts. And I listened to a book twice, the same book. To make sure I was getting all the information. Oh, you make fun of me for listening to Harry Potter. This was for research, Brie. And so was mine. Oh, no, I forgot my notes. That It's fine. Are you sure? You want me to go get them? I can go get them. 
yeah, you're you're being wonderful. So I did I did quite a few. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, let's see how this story goes. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about Elizabeth Jean Williams, also known as Betty. Um, she was born on August 11th, 1943 in Marion, Illinois. When Betty was 12 years old, her family moved to Illinois to Odessa, from Illinois to Odessa, Texas. And Odessa is like this all American town. Everybody, it's a small town, but like everybody goes down to the local high school on a Friday night to watch the football. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, and her, I'm watching Riverdale right now and Riverdale and the show is like a town like that. And one of the main characters well, named Betty. Odessa is known for the, where they filmed Friday Night Lights. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, her uncle, her dad's brother was convinced her dad like to move the family down there. Cause that's where they lived. He's like, the oil field is like booming. Come down here and work. So her father was a carpenter, not, had nothing to do with oil, and her mother worked at J.C. Penney's. And this is a time, this is like the 1940s, the oh, 1950s. Oh, J.C. Penney's was booming. Yeah, but also women didn't really work. They stayed at home. True. So J.C. Penney, she worked at J.C. Penney's because... Maybe that's the time I should go back to. <laughs> so you can work at J.C. Penney's. So I can not work. Oh, right. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Um, so her mom worked because they were not, they were not well off. And so, um, both of her her parents maintained a strict Christian household. She was the eldest of the four children. She had two sisters and a brother. And in the fall of 1960, Betty was 17 years, 17 years old and was a senior at Odessa High School. O-H-S. And at the time, Odessa was deeply conservative Christian town that Betty never quite fit fit into. She was more of like not a rebel, but she was like, "Mm, I don't know. She was opinionated. She seemed to thrive on the reactions from her peers when she would express, you know, her opinions Betty was openly openly anti-segregation and pro-sexual freedom, both of which made her social her social outcast in the eyes of most of her classmates. She was alive in the wrong time. Yes, she definitely was. <laughs> so wrong time. Um, Betty was, like I said, outspoken. She was flirtatious, and she often found herself in the crosshairs of jealous girlfriends. Ooh, Betty. Get it, girl. Yeah. Bad girl. <laughs> um, because her bedroom had a back door leading to the outside, it wasn't difficult for her to sneak out at night. Um, she would sneak out after curfew and walk a few blocks to the local diner called Tommy's Drive-In. It was, um, you know, a favorite teenage hangout. Um, and sh- there she would mingle with the popular boys at school, like the football jocks and she would catch the side eyes of girls when she would talk to them. So as she was also a passionate uh, theater student. Betty had secured lead roles multiple times um, in school productions. Uh, and she even landed three different roles her sophomore year. Like that's how well, how good she was in the theater department. Uh, Betty dreamt of someday performing under the lights of Broadway or maybe even making it to Hollywood. She and her best friend Gail had already decided that they wanted to attend Indian Indiana University together to study theater. During her junior year of high school, Betty had struck up a friendship with a boy named Matt Herring, a boy football player at Odessa High School. He was actually a grade below Betty. Betty and Mac were on entirely opposite ends of the social spectrum. She raised, she was raised in a lower middle class family in a small, modest home, and she was the outcast of this at the school. But Mac was raised in a financially stable home, it was a bigger house, 
He was the popular jock at the school. He was quieter and reserved. But uh, he was the boy that the girls gushed over whenever he'd walk past them in the in the hallway. So by the time the summer of 1960 rolled around, their friendship had become more of a fling. Mm -hmm. So they weren't just friends anymore. And in Betty's eyes, they were together. They were going steady is what they called it back then. I know. But Mac didn't see it that way because he would never invite her over to anything, any social thing that he would go to. She was never invited. But Betty would like gush to her close inner circle of friends about him. And she's like, I felt like he listened to her or she felt like he listened to her and understood her in a way that no one else could. But my, Mac was like, Bleh. like, Aww. I don't care about why did I say blah? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, he's just like. Wouldn't invite her to things, and if they were, like, out in public, or first off, they would never go out in public together. But if they were, like, at the same event at the same time, like, he would just kind of ignore her. Oh, my gosh. I know. Um, sh- Like I said, they weren't really together in Mac's eyes. He, She never met any of his family members. Um. So he he basically kept that relationship a secret. By August of 1960, it appeared that Betty felt rejected by Mac Mac over his discretion and unwillingness to make their relationship public. So one night, perhaps to make Mac jealous or maybe she just didn't care anymore. But she got into a car and headed off to a secluded spot with Bill Rose. Whoa, 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 Betty. Another football player and one of Mac's best friends. Oh, man. So Bill Rose himself would later deny that anything actually happened that night. Okay. (laughs) But Betty's cousin Sheldon, uh, her cousin Sheldon, who wrote the book that I listened to, said that there was a different story to be told. And in the book, he says, like, he would talk to his cousin Betty on the phone. And so, like, normally that he would answer, be like, hello. And she'd be like, hi, how are you? But he answered it and he said, hello. And she said, guess who I f***ed? <laughs> so. Definitely something happened. Yeah. So, like, why would her cousin make that up? <laughs> So, in 2004, Sheldon published a book, like I said, recounting his upbringing in Odessa and telling... But this was in the 40s? In 2004. Yeah, but when... This was in the 40s, Right, it went down in the 40s, but the book came Uh, out. Well, we're in the 60s by now. She was born in 1943. Mm. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, Bill found... Or, Mac found out about this whole hookup, possibly, with Bill Rose... And instead of making Mac, instead of getting jealous, he just simply decided that he didn't want anything to do with her anymore. Um, And so he broke things off with her, which was not what she wanted. She wanted like the opposite. She wanted to get his attention, which, but also like Betty, you should have like slept with Bill. I don't know. I think (sighs) Mac deserved it. He did. He did. But it was went the opposite direction yeah, that right. she wanted. This obviously devastated Betty. Her senior year of high school seemed to already be off to a miserable start. Odessa High School had hired a new drama teacher that year also. And that drama teacher did not like the way that Betty performed. So there was a the first production of the the senior year. Betty was passed up for the role, the main role of the play called Winterfest. Uh, and instead, she was appointed the stage manager. Ugh. The lead roles in the play were given to her best friend, Gail, and Mac. So, I looked it's up... like, in reverse. Yeah. Now her best friend. Yeah. So, um, Winterfest, I don't remember exactly what it's about, but basically, Mac's role in the in the play was like a murderer who is found innocent i believe so it was just interesting and i guess like it's a really boring blah not fun 
type of play for a high school. Like it's it sounds very serious for it's, a high it's school. A very like, and it has something to do with like uh, politics and stuff like that. From what I can understand, or like some, I don't remember what it was about, but it was like really like wow, like ooh, this sounds boring. Like. Let's all go to the play this Saturday right. night at the high school. You're like kids want fun stuff, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah. They want grease. Hairspray. They want hairspray. They <laughs> want footloose. I guess all of that stuff Musicals. comes out around the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Though <laughs> this is actually happening. <laughs> but Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. She was actually. I don't know if I say it in this in the story, but she was Juliet in one of the school plays. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, anyways. So, Gail and Mac are the main leads, and she is stage manager. She's put to the side. Ugh. It was around this time that Betty's home life also began to spiral. Betty seemed, uh, Betty kept a secret diary detailing all of her, like, spicy nights uh, with boys from school in that diary. And her dad, like, had a feeling that something was up, and it's a very conservative Christian home. So he goes and looks through her diary. Oh, shit. Don't ever do that. That's wrong. Yeah. And, of course, everything in the diary confirmed what he suspected. Uh, so he, she was chastised and belittled for the things that her father read in the diary. And despite her attempts to convince him that it was like she wasn't doing those things anymore, he's like, no, absolutely not. Like... You're grounded. Um, and so he tightened the restrictions on her social life. He had brought in also during this argument, he brought in her acceptance letter to the university that she wanted to go to Indiana. in Indiana. Yeah. And he ripped it up. Oh, I know. That's gee. Yeah. Very. That was just like went from like like a level three to like a level 10 that's yeah. awful that's her future dude yeah. so he told her that uh she could she's not going to the university she's not going to college she's going to stay in odessa she's going to work at a local store and she's going to live at home because that's punishment because that's not doing anything for your child yeah, that's not no. bettering them exactly. at all yeah. She's just going to continue doing what she's doing. Right? I would. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, oh, okay. Well, I guess this is my life. I would run away. Yeah. No kidding. Like, as soon as she turns 18, like, you have no control over me. Nope. So, while working on the play, so that's just an idea of how awful her home life was with her dad. I don't think he ever got physical with her, but he was just not, he was way too strict. While working on the play together, Betty and Max seemed to rekindle their, their friendship and uh, they even, like, started to work. Uh, she would help him run lines together because they're working close. Right. Encounters, you might as well. Um, so, the, you know, they're close. So, naturally, it just became a friendship again. Betty even started helping Mac with stage tips. Like I said, practice running his lines with him. But um it was during the rehearsals for winter set that oh winter set is what it's called not winter fest okay uh during the rehearsal for winter set that betty began to make these strange and unsettling comments to her peers she'd be like heaven must be a nice place and her friends would like laugh it off because they're like betty you're so weird because <laughs> she's also the outcast right. So, um, they're like, this is really uncomfortable, though, Betty. You should stop. <laughs> um, but, of course, it was just, like, their thought of her making making an attempt at dark humor, which, okay. Betty told several other students working on the play that she didn't want to be alive anymore, but that she couldn't bring herself to do anything about it. And she claimed that even, she even tried to take... She also told... Um, her friends that she took she tried to kill herself by taking four aspirin which just not gonna do anything no it just really good aspirin yeah that's a good night night yeah i I don't even think it would make you go night night no that's just a good aspirin (laughs) i think that's just probably like over the counter aspirin yeah uh yeah yeah she took four no four aspirin yeah 
Yeah, so it's probably like equivalent to like I don't know, Norco. I would say that that would be like taking an Excedrin. Yeah. <laughs> so your blood's super thin. That's yeah. what I was thinking. I was like, oof, don't cut yourself. Yeah. Um, so her dark thoughts brought her to the point. Also, so sad that she's at that point yes. and she's reaching yes. out to these people. Her dark thoughts brought her to the point of asking her friends if she'd be willing, if they would be willing to help her unalive herself. But her friends never took her seriously. They brushed it off, you know, saying like, you're just a little morbid. That's all. Um, thinking that this is another ploy of Betty trying to get attention from everybody because I guess that's something that she would do. Um, one of her friends said that when... One of her friends said that when she asked him if she would kill, if he would kill her, he joked with her saying that he would charge a pretty penny for that. Uh, so Betty turned Jeez. to, I know, it's like, you're, she's reaching out here, people, yeah. but it's also the 60s. Yeah. So Betty turned to one of the, the one person that she wanted the affection and attention from. And that was Mac. At first, when Betty asked him to help her with her problem, he would he laughed it off. Um, and then Betty would laugh with him. She's like, "Yeah, just joking," you know. <laughs> so sad. Um, and then they would like move on to the next thing that they're talking about until the next time Betty would ask him. Some sources say that she pleaded for him to help for days or weeks. Um, while others say that it only took a couple of times for her asking for him to like, say like, okay, I'll do that for you. So one evening on March 21st, 1961, Betty arrived home around 10 PM after spending a few hours at rehearsal for winter set. She said goodbye to her mother and went to bed to the bedroom to change into her pajamas. The next morning, around 7.45 a.m., Betty's mother was setting the table for breakfast when she realized Betty had not come down from the bedroom. When she went to check on her daughter, she found the room empty, so she figured Betty may have left for school early that day, so she called the school to verify that she was there because also Betty's still in trouble. Um, but Betty had never arrived at school that morning. No one had seen Betty since she left rehearsal the night before. So, police immediately went to Odessa High School to question Betty's friends and classmates about her last known whereabouts. Initially, her friends were hesitant to offer the police too much information about Betty's personal life um, because they knew that she was in trouble with her parents. Yeah. Um, but soon, Gail and Betty's other friend opened other friends opened up to police about Betty's evening trips with boys. And had and it was even revealed that Betty had recently started seeing an older man who worked at a DJ at a local as a DJ at a local radio station. That man was questioned and immediately ruled out. Um, so they they turned their attention back to the the teenagers. With some encouragement, a student named Ike Neal. Uh, revealed to the police that he had actually given Betty a ride home from rehearsal that night before. And according to the book her cousin published, he actually had been dating Betty for a couple months, and bet which no one ever really said anything. So I don't know if it was well known. It was just in that book. That's the only other, that's the only source that I could find right. about their relationship. I claim that he dropped her off at her house around 10 p.m. and she told him to come back and pick her up at 10 30 p.m. When he came back, Betty walked outside through the back door in her bedroom wearing baby pink short shorty pajamas and a blue and white striper duster, striped duster. She got into his car. He recalled seeing headlights pull up behind them around 11 p.m. a bit down the road and he knew exactly whose car it was. When Betty turned around towards the flash of headlights, she said in disbelief, oh, my God, I didn't think he would come. And she as she was getting out of the vehicle, 
uh, she said to Ike, I have to call his bluff, even if it kills me. And Betty got into Mac's car and drove off into the night. So police set their sights on Mac. They sat him down to question him, and he told police that he did, in fact, pick Betty up from her house around 11 p.m. The night before, he claimed that they drove around and talked for a while before he dropped her off at home around midnight. And he said that he dropped her off at the front door of her home, but he didn't want to see if she made it inside like he took off before she got inside. So that really like that was like, um, uh, oh, really type of thing with the police, because why would she leave? From her back door in her bedroom. And then go to her front door. Then go to her front door risking getting in trouble. Exactly. Yeah. So I was just thinking too. I'm like, wait a second. She has a back door to her room. Yeah. So police. After midnight. (laughs) Police decided that they needed to bring Mac down to the station to try and gather more information. He went down there and within 45 minutes, he told police that he had shot and killed Betty because she had begged him to do it. So he told them that her body was in a small stock pond a few miles northwest of Odessa in the middle of nowhere. Mac was asked to show them where exactly Betty was. Um, so they made the drive 26 miles outside of, to- outside of town following Mac's directions to a piece of land that Mac's father had leased for his family to go hunting on. So when Mac arrived, he walked down a hill. He walked up a hill to where the stock pond sat and he told the authorities that Betty's body was in the middle of the pond. When asked if he could locate her body, Mac didn't hesitate. He took off, he stripped down to his underwear and walked into the water. Um, and it was, the water was like nearly chest deep where he stopped and he reached down the water, began to pull something heavy back towards the shore and his hands were two human feet. Authorities instructed Mac to leave the body on the bank of the pond, and they immediately called for the ambulance. So Betty's, uh, oh, as Betty's body was laying at the edge of the water, Mac got dressed and explained the events of the night before to the officers. I'm sorry, but I I just want to know, like, what his emotion was during all this. Because, like, I get, I get that, like, she may have asked you to do it, but, like, why are you, it, it. And I'm not hearing his side. So, like, I won't, like, is he super calm telling him this? But, like, you went out to the water yourself and dragged this body that you just took the life of? Like, so, his his emotions were, he was emotionless. He wasn't upset. He wasn't, he was very stoic. How? I don't know. That's not a good thing. I'm getting, I'm going to explain a a little bit more. Okay. Mac is recounting the, the steps of everything that happened, each event that happened while they wait for this ambulance. Uh, So on the right out, he says that um, Betty kept talking about how happy she was going to be soon um, and how excited she was to get to heaven. And Betty and Mac arrived at the spot around midnight, and when they got out, Mac pulled out the 12-gauge shotgun from his car. He claimed that Betty herself had chosen which shotgun he would use. They stood and talked for about 15 minutes, and according to Mac, he asked Betty for a kiss to remember him by. But according to her cousin's book, Betty asked for the kiss. Um... But after the kiss, Betty knelt to the ground and Mac raised the shotgun. She grabbed the barrel and lifted it to the left, her left temple, and Mac pulled the trigger. Betty was nearly decapitated by the point-blank shotgun blast. Then he weighed her body down with two lead weights and submerged her in the stock pond where he left her. Officers and reporters who were there at the scene have said that Mac was unnervingly stoic cold and when he recounted the murder stoic and cold when he recounted the murder of his ex-girlfriend um recalling his emotions max said i feel towards her like a cat laying in a muddy straight in the rain 
What a piece of garbage. Yeah. That was easy for you. Yep. Yeah. So if this murder wasn't emotionally draining enough, the trial was just as bad, Brie. So Max defense attorney Warren intended to present a temporary insanity defense to the judge, meaning if he could prove that Mac was temporarily insane or in other words, insane only during the crime, not before or after they would, there would be no trial. Mac would be able to walk free. What was supposed to be the beginning of the murder trial ended up becoming a hearing to determine whether there's, even will be a trial um warren barnett who is like a big hot shot his attorney was he was like like almost like basically celebrity status for that area um warren barnett argued to judge that the to the judge that before the trial begins jurors should first be given the opportunity to evaluate the possibility that Mac was temporarily insane at the time he committed the crimes. So if the jurors determined that Mac was temporarily insane, there'd be no murder trial. The judge granted Mac a pretrial insanity hearing. The hearing was held in Kermit, Texas, 45 minutes away from Odessa. And the reason why I say this is because like, I normally don't really go into those type of details, but I felt like I had to for this story because it was absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Um, it was 45 minutes away. The The trial was um, from Odessa. The courtroom quickly began to look like a Mac fan club. Dozens of teenagers filled the room, openly offering their support for Mac. Oh, my gosh. The seats behind the defense team was overflowing, but Betty's side only had her parents. No. That's not so sad. Oh, Betty. The the very first witness called to the stand by the defense was Mac's father when, uh, I said Max, 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 M-A-C, Max. Oh, Max. I see. Yeah, it's it's Max plural. Yeah, not um, plural. <laughs> so Max uh, presence. Her the his father was brought to the stand. Uh, he told the courtroom that on March twenty second, nineteen sixty one, his son handed him a letter written by Betty Williams. It said, "I want everyone to know that what I'm about to do in no way implicates anyone else. I say this to make sure that no blame falls on anyone other than myself." I have depressing problems that that concern, for the most part, myself. I'm waging a war within myself, a war to find the true me, and I feel that I'm lo- feel fear that I'm losing that battle. So rather than admit defeat, I'm going to be a quick retreat into the no man's land of death, as I have only the will and not the fortitude necessary. A friend of mine. Seeing how great is my torment, has graciously consented to look after my, after the details. His name is Mac Hearing, and I pray that he will not have to suffer for what he is doing for my sake. I take upon myself all blame for their lies on me alone. Betty Williams, March twentieth, nineteen sixty-one. So that was her suicide note, basically saying like. I I'm I told this is my choice. Don't, yeah, don't get him in trouble. Yeah. So, um, and the letter was analyzed by professionals, and it was determined to be her handwriting. On the day Mac was arrested, his father turned the letter over to the police. Nine character witnesses testified for the defense, all praising Mac's athleticism. He, you know, he was a quiet, good-natured, demeanor boy. Three people testified that before Betty had turned to Mac, that she had asked them to end her life. And they all refused, believing that it was just a strange request to be nothing more than morbid jokes. Uh, The key witness for the defense was Dr. Marvin Griss, a psychiatrist who evaluated Mac three days after he murdered Betty. She claimed that Mac had simply been manipulated into holding a shotgun to his ex-girlfriend's head and pulling the trigger. And it was 
momentarily insane and was momentarily insane just for the time of the crime. Locals openly expressed their beliefs that Betty was a fast girl who had tricked a good boy into hurting her and ruining his life. She's dead. I know. The district attorney argued that Max should be evaluated by a psychiatrist, uh, 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 another psychiatrist, because this psychiatrist was hired by the defense. And they so, think that he should be, she could have used that. Yeah. So, uh, 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 should be evaluated by a psychiatrist appointed by the prosecution before the trial continues. So they're like, we want a second opinion for the psychiatrist. Um, but the judge denied that motion, citing defense attorney Burnett's argument that Mac's current state of mind was irrelevant, but then it's also relevant when they, the defense talks about it. So I don't get that. After all, he had only been insane during the crime. The defense then called Mac to the stand, but then was immediately passed to the prosecution to be questioned. Um, the DA pushed Mac to offer details about the murder of Betty, but Mac offered no significant testimony. He struggled to gather his thoughts and stampered through his answers, um, repeatedly claiming, Whatever. I know, claiming that he just didn't know what ha what happened what had happened or why and the jury didn't even hear the indictment the indictment read to them they didn't hear any of the actual facts and evidence of the crime that was committed they just heard like these testimonies about how amazing mac was and that was about it mac had such like such a plan to get yeah. rid of her body and stuff like that too yeah it was like, premeditated yeah exactly like y'all are stupid i know so the jury deliberated for 11 hours before returning with their verdict. They determined that Mac was temporarily insane when he murdered Betty. So Mac walked free. Are you The district attorney wasn't quite ready to give up. He appealed the verdict to the Texas Supreme Court. The court ordered a new trial for Mac. And the second trial was held in Beaumont, Texas. I don't I don't know if I'm saying that right. 600 miles away from Odessa. The turnout for the second trial was no different than the Jeez. first. There was people flooding that courtroom for Matt. Golly. Um, in the eyes of the locals of Betty, she wore a scarlet letter A on her. <gasps> she set out to destroy Mac for breaking her heart by sacrificing herself for revenge. Is and what she was the victim. Yeah, everyone's like, no, she just, she sacrificed herself so that he, you know, she could ruin his life. she's benefiting. Yeah, what right? Is she benefiting from it? So witnesses, witness after witness. So mad right now. I know. Sung pra Max praises. The prosecution had almost nothing to argue with. The biggest question still on everyone's mind was why? What compelled Betty to ask such a gruesome request and what compelled Mac to believe that pulling the trigger was the right thing to do? Right. There was no clear answer. The prosecution still had not been able to establish a clear motive, unfortunately. So on December 13th, 1962, the jury found Mac not guilty for the, the murder of Betty by reason of insanity. I object. <laughs> So tears were shed by many in the courtroom when the verdict was read. Oh, I'm so happy. Yep. The murderer is free. Maybe he can help me. <laughs> um, Mac was so beloved by Odessa, he went on to attend Texas, Te Texas Tech University before returning home to the town that forgave him and turned Betty into an urban legend. He did various work as a carpenter and spent over 25 years as an electrician. He got married twice. Mac died on January 19th, 2019 at the age of 75. What? The only thing left for Betty Williams is a story her cousin left in a book he published called Washed in the Blood. And the stories passed down from generation to generation. Odessa High School auditorium is said to be haunted by betty stage lights moving on their own a shadowy figure figure watching theater rehearsals from the balcony and mysterious lipstick marks on boys boys arms oh 
The high school, <laughs> the high school's alumni over the last six decades have all shared the same belief, says the same belief about the ghosts and have passed the legend down from generation to generation. Oh, <sighs> that's so sad. I know. She told so many people. I know. Like, All those people should be in jail, dude. Yeah, they should. Like, you guys, she was reaching out for help. It was... Like, murder... Like, I get depression, and it's awful, and it's sad, and, you know, it's normal. It's okay. So normal. It's so yeah. okay. But, like, go get help. Like, Well, and if someone is saying stuff like that to you, you should, like, take it say... Take very seriously. And take, like, go to someone and tell somebody else. Dying is not... That's not going to help you. No. That's not the answer. Her poor family, those poor parents. Yeah, I bet they felt terrible, too. Oh, yeah. Especially since she had just gotten punished. Yeah. And... Oh, what Which the heck? too hard. Like, uh, killing somebody is not... If someone says, can you kill me? Don't no. freaking do it. No. Absolutely It not. doesn't matter you how you sad do? they are. You go tell the police. Yeah. What the heck? Or I just was... someone close to them. I don't know. That's just... Ugh. I know. Oh, I, I forgot to tell you. It doesn't really matter anymore, but... I don't like that guy. So... <laughs> I don't like anyone from your stories. Um, so I told you that she cheated on, oh, the defense attorney during the first trial, he, it was like a little trick that they would do, um, like a little tactic, um, when the prosecution was giving his closing statement, the defense attorney lit a cigarette because it was allowed back then. And, but he had put a pin in the cigarette. So when like instead of like flicking the ash, it just would build up as he's smoking it and it wouldn't fall because there's a pin in it. And so instead of like the jurors, like being able to like focus on the closing statements, they were just like watching this cigarette, like burn in this guy's mouth and like waiting for that ash to fall. Like, I don't know. It was just like a little tidbit, but they did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like to distract. Yeah. Just distract the jurors. That's that would totally work. Though. Yeah, it would. But like, when is that ash gonna fall? <laughs> it's like, like the whole like, uh, what is it? The screensaver that never yes, hits the corner. When, You're yes. waiting for it to hit That's the exactly corner. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's genius. Yeah, I the I was obsessed over this story Y'all for like done two did weeks. Betty dirty guys. Yeah. Oh, and the story is it's dubbed the kissing kill murder. Oh, poor I Betty. Know. I liked her. I know she I seemed did. like she would fit in nowadays. Oh yeah, she was in the wrong generation. Yeah, she, she was, was sassy. Ugh, I'm sorry. I was really. Sad. It was a have heavy That's one. Kind of not funny about the ad that we just did. That would fit for this one. Our sponsor. Oh yeah. Sorry. Um. Speaking you- of. You want us to hear an? Can you please tell me a spooky story? It better be funny. Story? Um. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's in Florida, so okay. you know, Florida's cool. Florida's cool. Florida. So I'm doing the St. Augustine Jail in Florida. Okay, let's um, go. I haven't done a jail in a while either. No, you haven't. It's where Mac should have been. Yeah, Mac. Instead of going to college and playing football and getting married twice twice you know why he probably got divorced because they're probably like he's probably like oh yeah uh, i forgot to tell you i had an ex-girlfriend named betty and i killed her like what what say what oh but she was beloved by everybody yeah Uh, or he was he was yes (laughs) i was about to say wait a second (laughs) okay so the old jail in saint augustine florida or saint john's county jail as it, I guess it was used to, it it used to be called that, um, was built in 1891 by a Henry Flagler. 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 Uh, just after opening up a hotel in Ponce de Leon, which I didn't live far from there, um, it was a way of ensuring the public that the environment would be safe and peaceful. Because he's like, oh, I got this fancy hotel. I don't want anybody to be scared and. Let's make sure, like, the public isn't afraid of any convicts, so. No. Yeah. 
put up a jail. So originally, Flagler decided that the jail that was built was built too close to the community. So I guess he hired uh, a PJ Polly, which is also the company that was responsible for building Alcatraz. Oh, cool. To build a new one further out. So like one was built and then they're like, no, 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 too close to the community. Let's push it back. As our jail's like on like the main road. Is it? In town. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You can, like, see it from, like, McDonald's. <laughs> the jail. And it's very clearly a jail. Well, kind of. Um, so it was important to Flagler that the building appeared pleasant and fancy. So he didn't want it to look like a jail. He wanted it to be, like, really pretty on the outside and then just, like, a jail on the inside. Okay. Um, I get so, that. Yeah, I guess you want it to look good. So yeah. um, the jail was designed in a Romanesque. Romanesque, I think I said that right. Uh, revival. The appearance. It was kind of like the appearance of like a Victorian house. Oh, ow. Um, oh, and it was almost re- unrecognizable as a jail, aside from like the bars on the windows. So I guess all the money went like a towards the outside of the jail. hotel too. Oh so, my gosh, like, nothing went on the inside. So <laughs> I mean, all you need is cement and some bars. Some bars. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> Uh, the jail was made to contain 72 prisoners at full capacity. And I will say, I do think that this is one, and from what I've read, I do think that this is one of the only jails that I've reported on that didn't go over its limits. <laughs> they don't, it's not going to be like, oh, it's only 72 capacity, but two years later it had like 600 people in it. So, um, 72 do you, people. Do you think that has to do with the fact that, one, maybe there wasn't enough crime, a lot of crime there, or... Two, he really wanted to keep to that, like, I don't want it to look like a jail. Probably that. And also, like, it was small. It it was really small. So, Can you tell me what town this is in again? I want to look at it. St. Augustine, Florida. Okay. It's literally, like, within, like, the main strip of town. It's, like, between, like, buildings, I think. Okay. Um, So, the jail held some extremely dangerous prisoners. But it didn't take much to get sent here, evidently, especially in this time. Things like loitering or intoxication were a sure way to end up here. And as for women, if you weren't married or had a mental disorder or just had a pretty face, then this was your new home. Um, (laughs) You're too pretty. Go to jail. This does not. This looks like almost like a beautiful train station. Oh, I know. It's it's pretty. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the jail had a maximum security section also containing a death row cell that condemned a total of eight prisoners throughout its time. Holy cow. And they were sent to the gallows. The gallows? To be hanged. Oh. The gallows. Uh, but that doesn't include other deaths that had happened in the jail because, okay. you know, it was a tiny place for 72 people to live in. That's yeah um at all criminals most of them criminals um (laughs) at the time the two-story southern wing of the jail was living quarters for the sheriff and his family so like they actually lived there as well oh um the overall conditions of the jail were you guessed it poor especially to today today's standards no way it said by today's standards and i'm like by any standard like (laughs) this is disgusting it had lots of uh diseases running about like cholera, uh, tuberculosis, and just malnutrition. Yeah. And the doctors only came by when there was a hanging. hanging. So they That's not very common. Yeah, they didn't check on the people very much. Uh, the death rate was so high that the county got wind of it and started, they and the jail had to start, like, fixing numbers because, like, they're like, your numbers are way too high. You're having way too many people die. So they're like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll make those numbers go down. No problem. So prisoners would disappear, quotation, um, while out on a loan. They would loan out their prisoners, and staff would classify them as escapes. Okay. Um, They would, like, loan them out as, like, slaves. Right. Uh, Another way around it would be when the jail saw that an inmate was about to bite it, they would either ship them off to another jail or grant the inmate a pardon so they officially wouldn't, like, die on the property. So they're, oh like, gosh. giving someone else their problem. Yeah. Just so their numbers wouldn't be bad. 
pretty messed up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, baths, I'm sure you guess it, were not often. And like living in the South, heat, super gross. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. Um, and no AC. Right. Um, and using the can was quite literal. Uh, they would pass a bucket through each cell <gasps> and use the same bucket. Ew, that's so gross. The prisoners were worked hard in Flor- in the Florida heat yeah. to uh, farm during the day. And from that, the prisoners would sometimes catch their own dinner while they were out. Oh. So they would have to, like, get their own food. Okay. Uh, violence between inmates and even guards. Uh, there was violence between inmates and even the guards. The women were often raped and peddled out as sex workers. Um, men were lent out as slaves traveling throughout the country in cages and shackled at the ankles. Uh, in 1953, the jail was closed and moved to a new, more modern facility. The vacant building was then sold to an entrepreneur named Henry Slim McDaniel, who began operating it as a roadside tourist attraction. Just like, come see where these people are tortured. That's where... The photo that I looked at, it had, like, a little, like, uh, cart with, I don't know what it's called, like, a tram of, oh. to go, like, in front of it. and <laughs> Come look at this place. Come get your popcorn yes. before you go in. <laughs> in 1987, it was then placed on the National Register, and now it is restored as a museum and open to the public. I love that. So, clearly, there's some spooky things going on here. No way. What? <laughs> uh, the inmates, men men and women, were incarcerated and were convicted of some pretty terrible crimes. And okay. many of them did not survive their sentences. So, pretty much going here was a death sentence. Like, okay. I know I'm going to die if I, go, if I go here. That's really sad. Yeah. Along with the treatment... Uh, with that treatment, the inmates received some inhumane punishments like beatings and torture and or beatings and torture and starvation. So it was just a terrible place. Right. So spooky stuff. And the solid in the bleh, in the solitary cell today, people are challenged to go in there and like sit alone in it in like the far left corner. And everyone who supposedly has done this has claimed to have seen a shadowy figure lurk towards them. <gasps> Super cool. Some have even claimed to have uncovered uh, to have uncovered uh, scratch marks on their belly the next day after doing this. Oh my gosh! Some believe it was either a prisoner named Sim Jackson who was hanged in 1908 for killing his wife with a straight razor. Or another named Charlie Powell, who was arrested for beheading a man for spreading rumors about his spouse. Oh, my gosh. Props to you, Charlie Powell. <laughs> but also, you've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> one, one step too far. Yeah. Uh, despite air fresheners and daily cleanings, visitors and workers at the old jail have reported the smell of sewage when, no, when none is on site. And others are sickingly, smell a sickingly sweet smell which may be described as, like, boiling molasses. Like, how, how do you know? It smells like boiling molasses in here. <laughs> it's in the eye It's a, <laughs> a very specific <laughs> smell. <laughs> Who says that? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Remember that black tree air freshener? <laughs> That's what it smells like. Specifically <laughs> that one. Like specifically the black ice. Black ice. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it was called? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> the boy one, the one that smelled very like teenage oh boy. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> the one that smelled like a uh, Hollister. <laughs> it's <laughs> it smells like Hollister it smells in like here. Hollister. <laughs> oh, um people have heard the sound of dogs barking and even though the jail uh and even the jail also used to have dogs on the property, but okay. they no longer do. Um, cold spots, even in 100 degree Florida weather, are often felt, even in some cases, or even in some cases of people feeling as if someone has like a cold hand touching their shoulder. Ew, don't also, like it. people have experienced someone grabbing their ankles or scratching <gasps> their back. Ew. But also, you can scratch my back. Like, 
Oh, get oh, to the left right there. Get, get that. <laughs> Claw. <laughs> uh, the feeling of someone tugging their hand or someone blowing on them as they pass by. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, what the heck was that? <laughs> the feeling of uh, someone... Oh, I said that. Uh, reports of whistling and laughing have been heard from the women's cells. Uh, wailing and moaning Aww. sounds have been heard from the man's security area. And in other cases, some have reported what sounds like a little girl's voice coming from the sheriff's quarters. Lastly, people who live close by have complained of footsteps walking inside um, the sound has been described as clunky loud noises believed to possibly be from the inmates and chains. Oh, okay. I was thinking like a ago. cowboy boot. I know. I, I, I maybe could be from the sheriff. Maybe. Too. Yeah. Um, orbs have been spotted and apparitions have been seen crossing the main door and then vanishing into thin air. So, um, one thing about this story is I found a lot of fun. Um, yep. I'm scared refused. Yay. So the first one is from a Debbie S. And it is titled, Definitely Haunted. Their tour was fantastic. If you are into ghost tours, this is the place. We got lots of pictures of orbs and shadows and definitely felt that heavy feeling in the jail. This is a must-see and take a camera. You will pick up pictures here. Whoa. The next one is from Vintage Glam, who gave it five stars. And their title was, Real Thing, Paranormal Activity Here. I toured the old jail on November 9th, 2009. The tour was silly and scripted, but the activity was real. I encountered encountered extreme cold spots in death row area and on the second floor and I had a con on the second floor I had a contact experience. I felt somebody grab my arms, but nobody was there. I came out with bruises. Oh my gosh. Two large hands on my arms. You could clearly see the finger marks. Whoa. Uh, contact experiences are rare. If you are looking for one, go to the old jail. This next one is from. <laughs> oh, it's STVYUH. Okay. <laughs> Shut the very yo, uh, huh? Um, five stars. <laughs> five stars. <laughs> the best experience of our lives. My husband and our 19-year-old daughter did a night at the old jail investigating the paranormal. It was a great experience. My daughter, Tara, got the most personal contact in the jail. I would pick up a lot of energy in the jail. I would pick up a lot of energy in the old jail. The best part is the end when the investigator does a closing of the night. And I would personally ask for, and I would personally ask for Scott. He was the best. And at the end, he had a very, he had everyone by everyone, I mean spirits stirred up in the old jail. Tara's EMF was going off constantly, and when we got home Sunday at 3.30 a.m., Tara did not wake up till Monday morning. I checked on her all day. I was worried. It was. It is now Wednesday, and she is just now getting her energy back. Oh. So I guess she's just, like, she's one of those people that just gets, like, very She's very sensitive, yeah. yeah. But now she is drawn to the old jail i can't explain it in words but you must do a night at the old jail and scott thanks so much you were the best p.s no pics because our new camera and batteries died in the parking lot oh um next one is from steven g65 the ghost hunt was incredible is the title a friend and i did the ghost hunt at the jail about a month or two ago and i will admit that i was scared the paranormal is not something that i spend time thinking about but i am a believer and do watch some of the tv sh- the shows on tv since we had already done a couple of various ghost tours in the town we decided to commit to the real thing and spend a night at the old jail doing the ghost hunt the hunt itself is led by the old jail's very own ghost hunters all outfitted in identical black uniforms who were really a lot of fun and listened to and talk uh there were total pros who made sure we understood how the equipment work how actually invest how to actually investigate and let us experience for ourselves the activity that people report that is so cool yeah it was truly creepy being in the place of so much suffering and even i went in totally open to experience and got so creeped out at one point after seeing an apparition Ooh. that I wanted to just leave. 
Luckily, the ghost hunters are always around and did their best to make me comfortable enough to decide to stay till the hunt was over. This might not be everyone's cup of tea, but if you have an appreciation for the possibility that ghosts exist, then I would recommend this tour to you. It beats all the others since you don't just hear stories of ghosts, you actually get to hunt them. I myself plan on recommending plan on recommending it to friends and family but it might be some time before i work up enough courage <laughs> to go back on this tour that's really cool yeah that is cool so as of today the old jail was added like i said the old jail was added to the national registrar in uh, 1987 and serves as a place to uh teach the public the history of the past penal system and oh. the daily life it gave to the prisoners and at night if you dare you can even meet some of the past prisoners. Oh, and that is the that one sounds like fun. St. Augustine Jail in Florida. I know. I wanna... thank you. That was good. You're welcome. I want to go to that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tell... I'm I have an, I have now. a I have story. a neighborhood story. Okay. I had this is from BuzzFeed. I had an upstairs neighbor let their dog go to the bathroom on their balcony. I've done a lot of balconies mm -hmm. lately. I started to notice a brown nasty substance leaking on my potted plants on the balcony. I wasn't it wasn't until it rained that I could smell that it was dog poop and pee on my plants. Oh no. I got him evicted because it kept happening. Oh no. It was so gross. Out. Yeah. Nothing lazy people. Take your dogs out. Yeah, what the heck? I say that, but my dogs have gone poop on our deck, but it's winter time and you also don't have people living below you. I mean, I have that half of the deck, but usually they poop on our side of the deck if yeah. they ever do. It's yeah. rare. Oh, guys, take your dogs out, man. We're gonna get apartment. Oh, um, check out the Boreal Bigfoot Expo at BorealBigfootExpo.com. It'll be in June. Um, we're going to be there. It's at the Carlson Center. You can get your tickets now and check out the VIP tickets and all who's going to be there. It's going to be Yay. really big faces. Um, also, follow us on all our social medias. You know where we're at. And um, Have you checked on the neighbors? What's with the neighbors? Bring Amy, Amy out. out. What's with the neighbors? Um, say hey to your cats for oh, us. Don't get dead.